0: Well, good morning, and welcome to Wall Bible. Glad you're here today. Uh, My name is Josh, and I'm one of the pastors here, along with Kirk and Dan. And today, uh, we are in a passage in the book of James that uh, really is the passage on which the entire book, in my opinion, hinges. That that everything James talks about is summed up, basically, in this passage today. Did you know that? Sometimes we think of James as just being all over the map, and he goes from this thing to this thing to this thing, but... In James chapter 3, verses 13 through 18, and really I'm going to argue maybe even all the way through 4, verse 3, uh, that's the crux of the matter for him. And so we're going to look at that text this morning. But uh, just one thing before we get going, I want to reiterate what Kirk had said during the announcements. If um, many of you over the course of the spring, we had membership class I think last in February maybe, and our discovery class now, sorry, I'm, I'm saying the wrong name, we changed the name to discovery class. And uh, there were many who had, had signed up for that class. We had like uh, close to 20 people sign up, only about half made it. And so the other half were wondering, when are we doing it again? And June 13th, a week from Tuesday, and many others too over the course of the last few months have asked, when are we doing membership class, discovery class, I'll get it right, discovery class again. And so, hey, get signed up, we'd love to do it. And if that Tuesday doesn't work, we've, we've usually done Sunday night, so we're trying something a little different. Um, but you can also uh, let us know if that just doesn't work and we'll shoot for uh, another class late in the summer. Sound good? We're trying to offer those about three times a year, three to four times a year going forward. But hey, let's open the, the, the Bible today and read from James chapter 3. And actually, one more thing I want to say before we get going. One other announcement kind of sort of thing. Does that work? It's a weird way to say it, but that work. Hey, uh, so I mentioned last Sunday and two Sundays ago too. If you're interested in traveling with us to India, um, we're, we're going in November. That's about a 10 day trip. And uh, if you're interested, uh, it looks like there is going to be a spot or two available yet, even this year. So please let us know. I'm waiting to hear back from people I had asked. And we really need to know soon so we can get those tickets purchased. And, uh, and get moving forward. But if you want more details about that, come find me. If you don't know what I'm talking about, we built an orphanage in India. We've supported kids in India for about 10 years. Uh, poured in about a quarter million dollars there of of your generosity into the lives of these kids. And so we're going to go, we're going to teach at a pastors and missionaries conference. You'll have the opportunity to minister to men and women who are are nationals of India and who serve in the church. You'll have the opportunity to go visit our orphanage and see those boys and bring a report back to everyone else. And uh, the hope is to continue going about every two years, okay? So let me know if you're interested. All right, now James chapter 3. Here we go. Chapter 3, starting in verse 13. Who is wise and understanding among you, James writes. Well, let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in humility that comes from wisdom. And I'm I'm reading from a different translation than the ESV, aren't I? Well, just bear with me, because that's the one I copied and pasted into my notes today. And then we'll get to the ESV. So here we go. By deeds done in humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. For where you for where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder in every evil practice. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy, and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace will reap a harvest of righteousness. Let me pray. Father, thanks for your word and thanks for Jesus and for his younger brother James and all that he writes here to instruct us in in how to live uh, with wisdom. Lord, this morning I'm convinced this passage is really the sum of the matter of the whole book and of uh, his entire letter. Would, would you give me wisdom as I teach it and, and preach it? And would you give us wisdom to, uh, to live out your word, to not just say things, to not just uh, uh, display passion, but to actually live it and to do something with it and not just give lip service to these things. Uh, really, that's the, the crux of the matter. James says if we have wisdom, we're going to show it with our good deeds and in our good lit life. So I pray you teach us this morning. I pray against the enemy, who is the one who sows wisdom, as we'll see from below. Uh, I pray against him, his servants, their works and effects. Instead, Holy Spirit, would you uh, work in and through us today and change us? I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as I said, today we get to the passage, uh, I believe, upon which the entire book of James hinges. I believe it's the main point of his entire letter and everything before and everything after flows from this passage, from this idea. So what's the idea? Well, the idea is that there's two types of wisdom. There's wisdom from above and there's wisdom from below. And James is encouraging us to live uh, with wisdom from above. And which one you follow will determine the course of your life. In fact... In each passage in James, I believe, is a short lesson and illustration of this passage. In fact, you got your Bible? Uh, turn to James chapter 1 with me. Let's just thumb through the text again and look at it, starting in James chapter 1. Uh, Look back with me. Uh, Chapter 1, verses uh, 1 through 18, or 2 through 18. uh, James starts talking about trials. He he says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you face trials of various kinds, right? Count it joy. Then you get to verse 5, I believe, and he says, and if any of you lacks what? What's the word? Wisdom. Do what? Ask, and God will give it to you freely without reproach. He's saying when we face trials... When we face trials, we're going to be, remember we talked about this, you have the opportunity to embrace it and learn from it and, and trust the Lord, or you're going to be tempted to turn from him. And instead of a trial, you're going to end up with a consequence. And, and James is saying you need wisdom from above to, to embrace that trial and to learn from it. But wisdom from below would, would bucket and would say, I don't, I don't like this. I don't want this. And you're trying to get out of it on your own. But, but God allows the trials for us to change us. And James addresses wisdom from below and above on that. Uh, in chapter 1, starting in verse 19 then, he says, We're to be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. That's wisdom from above. That's wisdom from above. James is saying, uh, if you're going to demonstrate wisdom from, from above, then recognize you've got two ears and one mouth. So, so use your ears and be slow to speak, and then slow to become angry. See, wisdom from below would be just, if we fail in any of those three things, then we're demonstrating wisdom from below, aren't we? Uh, How about chapter 2, verses 1 through 13? We looked at this as as we preached through the book of James. In week uh, uh, 4, don't show partiality within the body of Christ. To do that, James says, is wisdom from below. It's not your job to judge. In fact, he ends the the passage in verse 13 by saying, uh, don't judge, but show mercy. Because the the degree with which you show mercy to others is the degree with which God's going to show mercy to you. It's kind of scary, isn't it? Don't judge. Don't show partiality, but show mercy. That's wisdom from above. And then uh, chapter 2, verse 14 through 26 is is one of the most famous passages in the book of James, where he talks about putting your faith into action. He, He says, faith without works is what? Dead. Dead. Not alive, dead. It's in other words, it's not really faith. Faith that isn't shown is faith that isn't known. If your faith hasn't changed you, it hasn't saved you. James is saying, wisdom from above demonstrates faith with good works, but wisdom from below just just kind of mouths off, says, "Yeah, I have faith. I believe. I've gone to church my whole life, but uh, there's nothing there." That's wisdom from below. It's religion. If Don't just say you have faith. Live it out. Don't just give lip service to Christian things, to Christian churchy things. Do it. Do something with it. Uh, Because wisdom, you've heard the description of wisdom, right? Wisdom is knowledge that's rightly applied. See, you can have knowledge. You can know all kinds of things. But if you don't do anything with it, who cares? Who cares? If If I know how to change a flat tire... And I get a flat tire along the side of the road, but then I don't do anything with that knowledge. I'm going to be sitting alongside the road for a long time, aren't I? Yeah, that's stupid. Like wisdom, Josh, put that knowledge into action. That's wisdom. And for James, he would say wisdom is faith that's put into motion. It's true faith put into motion. Do something with it. Don't just say it. Wisdom from below is nothing but words. Wisdom from above results in action, he says in the end of chapter 2. We'll see that in the very first verse this morning. Then last week we saw in chapter 3, verses 1 through 12, more wisdom from above versus wisdom from below. And it has to do again with your tongue. (laughs) right? We talked about there are two different types of people. You can either be a critic with what you say or you can be a coach. And the critic wants to make a point and win an argument. The the coach wants to uh, be in relationship and win a person. The critic wants to win the point, the coach wants to win the person. And wisdom from above is being the coach and and winning the person because they can say the exact same things with their tongues and they can be received totally different based on their tone and their timing. But, But the critic is wisdom from below. And we've all played both, haven't we? See, James is saying all through this, that's all I'm trying to demonstrate, is that when we get to this point, he's saying, here's the crux of the matter. Are you going to seek wisdom from above or wisdom from below? I've showed you all these examples, and I'm going to show you more after this. But but where are you finding wisdom to live your life? On what basis are you making your decisions? And on what basis are you living out your life? James 3, 13 through 18 is, is wisdom from above versus wisdom from below. So let's get into the text. Look at verse 13. James says, uh, Who is wise and understanding among you? Now, remember, this is a letter that would have been, uh, in, in, in the churches in this day, everybody didn't have their Bible with them. They didn't have Bibles in the pew racks. Uh, they, they, they gathered in the synagogue. and uh, So they're in a building like us. That's, that's the same. But they gathered to hear the word of God, and somebody just read James' letter to them. Everybody didn't have their own to follow along. They didn't have a visual up on the screen And so, so the guy who's reading this says, um, who is wise and understanding among you? And I imagine maybe, maybe there's some people like, oh, I am. I'm wise. I know I'm wise. And James is anticipating that somebody's going to step forward and say, yeah, that's me, man. I'm wise. I got, I got wisdom. Well, then James goes on and he kind of lures him in and then he uh, throws his punch. He says, well, then by his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of of wisdom. If you're really wise, show it. See, if Forrest Gump was, pa- was preaching this passage, you know what he would say? Wisdom is as wisdom does. <laughs> That's what he'd say. If you've really got wisdom, live it out. If you've really got wisdom, let's see it. Let's see it. So it. It echoes back to what he'd already said, doesn't it? If you really have faith, let's see it. Let him show it by his good works. If you really have wisdom, wisdom isn't just knowing the truth. Wisdom is living the truth. Wisdom is that knowledge rightly applied, it's that faith put into motion, not just sitting on your hands. Amen? See, he says, Show it then, if you're wise, by your good works. Look, he doesn't, look what he doesn't say. He doesn't say, uh, Hey, who is wise in understanding among you? Show it. Let's, let's hear your doctrinal statement. Do you have it down? Do you know every fine point of doctrine? He doesn't say that, does he? Because wisdom is more than just knowledge. He, he doesn't say, uh, if you're wise, then let's start quoting Bible verses. Let's see who can quote the most Bible verses. Um, my, my money's on Pastor Kirk. Uh, who, would quote the mo- who can quote the most Bible verses? He doesn't say that, does he? Because it's not just about knowledge. It's about wisdom. He, he doesn't say, uh, hey, if you're wise, um, tell us how long you've been involved in church. And, and, and all the stories of, of all the years of you serving. And, and he, doesn't, he doesn't say that, right? He, he says, um, show it by your good works today. Show it. If you're really wise, wisdom is as wisdom does. Show it by your good works, and notice how to do it. You should show them with, uh, in the meekness of wisdom. Your translation might say gentleness, which is it's a good translation as well. Um, there's a wrong way to show your works, which is to boast and to be proud. And there's a, a good way to do it in weakness and gentleness. And we're going to come back to this verse. A little bit later in the message. But for now, let's keep going. Because what James does next is he unpacks two different types of wisdom. He unpacks these two wisdoms. And the first one is wisdom from below. Wisdom from below. See, James is going to tell us that there's two kinds of wisdom. And this section of James is different than any other section in his letter. Because it's the only section where um, instead of illustrating it with illustrations... He just lists out virtues. Every other passage we've had so far, James has had these really vivid illustrations and almost kind of stories in a sense, right? Well, well now he just—he doesn't do that. He zeroes in on uh, here's, here's the big thing and here's dot, 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 dot. Every other passage he had started with my brother's. And then we, we just know this. I've, I've explained this already. I'm not going to do it again. But in literary context, this is the core. And that's another reason is because there's no illustrations. There's just a list of virtues and vices. And there's textual and verbal links throughout the entire book of James. I would encourage you, I think one of your 110 questions is, go through the book of James this week and, and have James 13 through 18 on the side here. And every time uh, you see something from James 13 through 18 in the book of James, uh, put a mark by it in, those, in every other chapter. You're going to mark up the entire book of James. Because 13 through 18 is echoed throughout the entire book. See, wisdom is knowledge rightly applied. But for James, wisdom is faith rightly lived out. So let's look at this first type of wisdom, which really isn't wisdom at all. Wisdom from below. Look what he writes in verse 14. See, uh, he just told us, if you have wisdom, live it out. But he says, but if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts don't boast as if, in other words don't boast as if you have wisdom and be false to the truth this is not the wisdom that comes down from above but it's earthly it's unspiritual it's demonic for where jealousy and selfish ambition exist there will be disorder in every vile practice. Look at that list of things he says is associated with wisdom from below. It's, it's earthly. In other words, it's, it's from below. It's, it's unspiritual. Your translation might say sensual, which is a good translation as well of that word. But look how he ends it in verse 15. It's, it's demonic. When was the last time that you, uh, because you were jealous of someone, you thought, hmm, that's demonic of me to be jealous? That's a big deal. Or when you had selfish ambition. That's demonic, James says. Not just wrong. That's a strong word, isn't it? It's a strong way to describe attitudes of our hearts. James doesn't hold back. He says, that's wisdom from below. You, You need to. There was an old rap song when I was in like elementary school you got to check yourself before you wreck yourself, right He says that's wisdom from below that's wisdom from below uh, let's look at the text again. If you have bitter jealousy and self there there's the clue: am I following wisdom from above or below? Well, uh, is my heart jealous? Am I bitter? The truth of the matter is everyone in this room we could go around and we could tell stories the guy on the stage included of times where we struggled with bitterness, where we struggled with jealousy, where somebody has said something to hurt us. And and the key here is, not if you become bitter and jealous in our sin, the likelihood is that you're going to, but then what do you do with it? If you hold on to that bitterness and don't get better, um, do you see how it ends? It ends in every evil practice. It ends in uh, demonic behavior, James says. Are you selfish? Bitterly, bitterly jealous, I mean, excuse me. And then look at what he says. In, in, or do you have selfish ambition in your hearts? Now, when I read this, it, a question occurred to me is, well, what's the difference between ambition and selfish ambition? Because if we're not careful, we could, we could really take this verse out of context, couldn't we? And we could say, if, if you're, you really work hard at your job and you've really worked hard to, to build wealth and to care for your family and to build your business and to maybe create jobs even for other people, whatever that is, right? If we're not careful, we could take that verse and accuse people of being uh, earthly and unspiritual and demonic, couldn't we? See, it's not just ambition. Ambition is a good thing. God put that in your heart to be ambitious about things, to take the initiative. To, to that, that's, what he, that's what he asked Adam and Eve to do is to be ambitious and care for the garden and all the animals. And It's selfish ambition. Why are you ambitious? Is it just for the money? Is it just for you? Is it just so that your name is in lights and important? It's selfish ambition that's the enemy. Don't be selfish in your ambition. Now, that's a, hard, that's a hard thing to cut, isn't it? Because we go back and forth even in, in right ambition with being selfish. We're so messed up and, and our sin is so intertwined into who we are. But the key is when you notice the selfish ambition, repent of that. It's not wrong to be ambitious, but to be selfishly so. Because he says well, when you do that, um, if you have those things in your heart, then don't boast like you're wise. Uh, be, you'll be false to the truth. Because this isn't wisdom from above. It's earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. What does earthly mean? Let's unpack those words. Earthly, I think, uh, maybe a good way to understand it is simply that um, it has this world as its boundaries. The boundaries of earthly wisdom is on this earth. It's not going to do you any good beyond here. And even then, it's going to hurt you. Now... uh, He also goes on and says it's unspiritual or sensual. And again, this is this idea of rather than being uh, directed and from God, it's actually uh, all about me. It's not spiritual at all. It's selfish. And then demonic. Uh, One of the most selfish, the person with the most selfish ambition in the history of the world is Satan himself. Uh, because he wanted to be God, and in, in wanting that, he rebelled against Him and was cast down. And was a fallen angel, and took a third of the angels with him, who are demons today. See, it's when we demonstrate bitter jealousy and selfish ambition, we're 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 really modeling, we're imaging Satan much more than we're imaging Jesus. But one thing, another, th- another thing to recognize here, I mentioned ambition is something not to, to criticize, but selfish ambition. But also don't confuse the world's knowledge with the world's wisdom. See, James, James says uh, uh, don't seek wisdom from below. He doesn't say don't, speak, don't seek earthly knowledge. There's a lot of good knowledge, right? Like whoever engineered these beams in this, this building, that was some earthly knowledge. They figured that out. Aren't you glad that they're still standing? I am. Because if if they didn't have that earthly knowledge, uh, we could be in a lot of trouble. Earthly knowledge is not the same as earthly wisdom. When James is talking wisdom from below, he's not talking knowledge that helps the common good. But he's talking about wisdom in terms of of how I live my life and how I uh, affect my motivation and, and all that I do. Because it's unspiritual and demonic. And, and look how he concludes this section. He says, For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. And every vile practice. Uh, disorder, I believe, in your life, in the church, in your home. But he goes on and he talks about another wisdom, and he, he talks about the wisdom we should seek. Look at the second wisdom. Wisdom number two is wisdom not from below, but from. Above, verses 17 through 18. And uh, let's look at this, these texts and see what he writes. He says, But wisdom from above is first pure. Before anything else, it's pure. It's not polluted with uh, jealousy and bitterness and selfish ambition. It's pure. And after that, then it's peaceable, it's gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits. Remember, he said to to show your wisdom by good works. It's impartial and sincere. And he says in verse 18, and a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. So here James gives us a list and it's so different from that other list, isn't it? A list of wisdom from above. He says it's pure, it's peaceable, it's gentle, it's open to reason, it's full of mercy, it's full of good fruits, it's impartial, it's sincere, it's... It results in righteousness. Sounds like something Paul wrote, didn't it? Doesn't it? Uh, Galatians five twenty-five or 22, 23, the, the fruit of the spirit, peace, joy, patience, and all those things. And, and James is saying, listen, there's there's a fruit of wisdom that comes out. It's, it's peaceable. It's gentle. It's open to reason, full of mercy, good fruits, impartial. But let's maybe uh, look at some of these things. And I I think, remember I told you this passage relates back to uh, every other passage and relates forward to every passage yet to come. This idea of wisdom from above versus wisdom from below. So since the most recent passage we looked at was the first part of chapter 3, let's maybe look back at that and and compare uh, or or maybe uh, take this list of virtues and, and impose it on top of that passage of what he taught us last week about our tongues. And and maybe we'll just, we'll boil down again to that illustration of the critic versus the coach. Look at all the ways James refers back to what he's written. First, he says, godly wisdom is first pure. It's free from all of the things that characterize false wisdom. It's free from bitter jealousy. It's free from selfish ambition. First of all, it's pure. So let's think of our tongues again. how many of us can rightly say that the first thing when we, when we say it, it's, it's first pure? <laughs> yeah, we're, we're all laughing, right? Because seldom. That's wisdom from below. Oftentimes it can be bitter or jealous or selfish. But it ought to be first pure. If we want to be a coach, we want to be first pure. How about this? Uh, Godly wisdom, he says, then is peaceable. Wisdom from above is peaceable. In other words, it delights in peace and it promotes peace. So again, let's just go back to the most recent context in chapter 3. Um, does your tongue promote peace? Or does it tear apart peace? Remember James told us in last week that that uh, the tongue is is like a, a raging fire that's set on fire by hell itself. That... That uh, yeah, you may not be going to hell, but you can unleash hell with your words on people but but Godly wisdom isn 't that Godly wisdom is peaceable; it delights in peace and it promotes peace. I think we all have times where we need and maybe now where we need to repent of things we 've said because it 's not promoting peace it 's not peaceable. Godly wisdom is also gentle. This is the same word earlier where he said meek, meekness it 's not combative. It's not abrasive. It's reasonable and it's courteous. Being slow to speak in chapter one, right, and uh, and quick to listen and slow to become angry. That's being gentle, isn't it? That's wisdom from above. Not being combative or abrasive, because you can be right, but you can be really wrong in the way that you're right, can't you? Uh, godly wisdom, he says, is open to reason. It's willing to yield. It doesn't insist on its own way. It doesn't. Again, James chapter 3, verse 1 through 12. The, uh, the the critic wants to win the point. He wants to be, he or she wants to be right. Uh, the coach yields. And works with somebody. Uh, see, it's full, it, it's open to, are you reasonable? Are you reasonable? Or, uh, or do you just always have your mind made up before the conversation even happens? James says, wisdom from above is someone who's open to reason. Um, godly wisdom, he says, is full of mercy. Remember uh, chapter 2, verse 13? He ends uh, talking about partiality by saying, uh, again, he's echoing back all over the text. In chapter thir- 2, verse 13, he says... Uh, Don't judge others, but because the judgment, the mercy by which you show to others is the mercy with which you'll be judged. Do you show mercy? See, godly wisdom is full of mercy. It's not full of judgment, it's full of mercy. It's full of giving the benefit of the doubt, it's full of uh, being gracious to people. Is that you? See, show your wisdom then by your good works. Be full of mercy. It's also full of good fruits. It's rich in good deeds. He says that at the end of chapter 2, doesn't he? He says, hey, if, if you really have faith, let show it by what you do. See, he, he, do, you, do you see it? Like he, he, he's going all over the text. He's wrapping all of it up here in this passage. He says it's impartial. It doesn't show favoritism. Again, the beginning of chapter 2. Show no partiality. Godly wisdom is sincere. In other words, it's without hypocrisy. It's sincere and genuine. It doesn't put on a front. It, it, it's not double-minded, was the way that he said it in chapter 1. It's sincere. See, this passage, is, he, he echoes everything else that he said right here, and he wraps it up for us. That's wisdom. It's, it's peaceable. It's pure. It's gentle. Open to reason. Full of mercy. Full of good fruits. Impartial. Sincere. Righteous. See, that's what he says in verse 18. And a harvest of righteousness, then, is sown in peace by those who make peace. James concludes this, this section here by saying that when we allow God's wisdom to drive us and direct us, it results in righteousness and right conduct and right living, living in accordance with God's will. He's, he's, I believe he may be quoting Isaiah chapter 32, verse 17, where Isaiah writes, the effect of righteousness will be peace, and the result of righteousness, quietness, and trust forever. And he's also echoing his older brother again. Because who did Jesus say were blessed? Blessed are the peacemakers. For they shall be called sons of God. See, those who make peace sow peace, and it results in righteousness, James says. It's curious to me that this follows right after is, is speaking about the tongue. Because if there was ever a way to not sow peace... It's with your tongue, isn't it? It's with my tongue. Well, I want to go back to the very beginning of this passage in verse 13, because in verse 13, we see the overarching moral characteristic of wisdom. He just showed us there's wisdom from below, here's what it looks like. There's wisdom from above, here's what it looks like. And he's already given us all kinds of illustrations in chapters 1 through 3 of what that looks like visibly. And then he gives a list of virtues and the vices. And in, in verse 13, before he launches into this, he, he says that you should sow your good works in what? In the meekness of wisdom. See, I, I think James is saying that the ultimate moral characteristic of godly wisdom is meekness. How many times did you use that word this week? You're so meek. Huh? What? Try that this week. See if you can, I'll I'll tell you what it means. You see if you can use it in a sentence this week. You know what meekness means? Meekness is not weakness, first of all. It's not. That's why some of your translations say gentleness rather than meekness. Uh, This Greek word is is protase, and it's sometimes used of a wild horse that's been broken. Because what meekness is, is it's uh, power, strength that's under control. And so this very word is is often used in in the Greek to to talk about breaking a wild horse. Breaking it of its power and bringing that power under control. Which is curious because James just told us last week that our tongues again, right? Are like uh, you put a bit in the mouth of a horse and you can can lead this huge animal that's ten times your size. And you have that power under control. Meekness is power, is strength under control. Your tongue is small but powerful. The meek one is the one who can keep that strength under control. You're never stronger than when you're able to control your strength, are you? You never are. I, I read a story this week of a man who is uh, a pastor. He was leading uh, a trip to Israel with people in his church. And one of the guys in his church was like 6'5" uh, six, five, six, six, big burly guy played college football. And, uh, they're, they're in this shop in Israel buying some souvenirs. And all of a sudden from the front of the line, this lady yells, thief, thief. And this guy comes tearing down the line, running out of the business. And, uh, he's, uh, he's, he's carrying her purse. And this guy, who's in the very back of the line, you know what he does? The, the, the action story of me wants me to say he just stuck out his arm in clothesline and boom, right? But do you know what he does? He just reaches out and grabs his arm. And he held him there. Because he was so strong. He was so big. He could have taken the dude out. But he was meek. His strength was under control. See, that's what meekness is. It's strength it's under control. And James is telling us that, that, that wisdom and meekness are interrelated. They can't be separated. It, it makes me think for you and for me, what's your strength? What's one of your biggest strengths? If you're not sure, maybe ask, ask a friend, ask your spouse, what's your biggest strength or what's one of your biggest strengths? You know, some people have said, and I think rightly so, that sometimes your biggest weakness is often your greatest strength taken to the extreme, Right and and you know what what that is is that's um, so for instance maybe you're really good at listening and you're a good listener you're a strong listener but if you take that to the extreme and all you do is listen and you never speak truth into someone's life now that listening has become a weakness hasn't it because your strength has gone out of control <laughs> it's gone to the extreme meekness would have that in control and no how to limit that and to use it wisely. See, wisdom is meek. Use your strength for God's glory and for peaceful pursuits. And no one can be considered wise who is not at the same time meek. That's what James is saying. It's the moral characteristic of wisdom. And did you know if you're meek, if you control your strength, you control your tongue, you control uh, your anger, whatever those things are, that that there's actually a reward for you. Listen to some of these passages. At Psalm thirty-seven, eleven, but the meek shall inherit the land and delight themselves in abundant peace. Isaiah 29, 19, the meek shall obtain fresh joy in the Lord. Matthew 5:5, 5, 5, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. At Psalm 25, 9, he leads the humble in what is right. He teaches the humble or the meek his way. Psalm 147 6: the Lord lifts up the meek, he casts the wicked to the ground. There's reward for your meekness. And do you know who the ultimate example of meekness is? It's not too hard. Sunday school answer. When you don't know in Sunday school, what, what, what who do you say? Jesus. Yeah, he's the ultimate example of meekness. In fact, look at this in Matthew 11, chapter, chapter 11, verses 27 through 30. Jesus says this All things have been handed over to me by my Father. How many things? All. So Jesus has incredible strength and incredible authority, doesn't he? Later, he'll say that all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. He says, no one knows the son except the father. No one knows the father except the son and anyone to whom the son chooses to reveal him. So then he says, so come to me. All who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. Boy, if you need rest, you want to go to someone who's strong, don't you? who can help you, who can do the work for you. He says in verse 29, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Then look at this, for I am gentle. It's the same Greek word, I am meek, your translation might say, and lowly in heart. Jesus says, um, you can come to me because, yeah, I'm strong. Yeah, I I could destroy you with a word, but my strength is under control and I love you. And if you'd come to me, I'm weak, I'm gentle, I'll give you rest. That's meekness. Wisdom is demonstrated by meekness. It's one of the fruits of the Spirit, Galatians 5.23. Gentleness and self-control. Weakness, or Meekness, excuse me. So we talked about all these things, but so what? How do I get wisdom? I, I've seen from James that there's wisdom from above and wisdom from below. And I've seen that, yeah, wisdom from above is characterized by meekness. I can pretend to be meek, but uh, where do I really get this wisdom so that I really am meek in the way that I live? And I really do demonstrate it by my works. Well, I want to leave you with four things this morning because I believe there's four sources of wisdom that the Bible talks about. Are you with me? So let's look at these. And maybe, this is, maybe one of these areas is somewhere where you need to go to seek wisdom this week. Yeah, yeah? You awake? All right, here we go. Four sources of godly wisdom. First, the first one, reverence for God reverence for God. See, Proverbs nine ten says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. See, the, the thing is, Satan is cunning. Satan is incredibly cunning and he has wisdom. He has wisdom from below that he will use to, to confound you and to confuse you and, and to, to mess you up so that you don't know the wisdom of God. So, so the, the first step in getting God's wisdom is simply to know God, to fear him, to revere him. In addition to Proverbs 9.10, there's some other instances where it talks about fearing God, having reverence for him. Uh, Psalm 111.10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All those who practice it have good understanding. His praise endures forever. Job twenty-eight, twenty-eight. he said to the man, Behold, the fear of the Lord, that's wisdom. Proverbs 1, 7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Proverbs 15, 33, the fear of the Lord is instruction and wisdom. What does it mean then to fear God? That's why I use this word reverence instead of fear, because when you talk about the fear of the Lord, it's not... It's not that I walk around uh, afraid all the time, like chicken little, right? Like I'm always, I'm so scared. God's just going to, he's going to strike me down. It's going to be awful. That's not it. The, the fear of the Lord, the idea is reverence. Reverence is what that word means. Literally, it, it means to stand in awe of, to stand in awe of God. Uh, the Hebrew word is Yerah, and it means to stand in awe of God. It's sometimes translated like it is here as fear, other times as reverence or worship or awesomeness. Um, and sometimes it's translated as being terrified, but rarely. Usually it's just fear in terms of reverence. But the times it's of terrified, it's when uh, men have realized who God is and they're terrified of who he is because they don't know him. Like in Jonah chapter 1 verse 10, which leads to the second source of wisdom. The first is to fear God. The second is conversion to Christ. Hey, listen, loved ones, if you've never trusted Jesus Christ, your hope for godly wisdom is a wish. It's a wish. Because apart from Jesus Christ, there's no way you're going to get godly wisdom. The way you gain godly wisdom is not on your own. It's not through your good works. It's not through trying harder. It's in and through Jesus Christ. Paul tells us that Jesus himself is wisdom personified. Look at this. It, because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. Notice this verse. It says, because of him, you are in Christ Jesus. We sang that earlier, right? In Christ alone. That's the big idea, to be in Christ to be, Are you in Christ? You might claim to be a Christian, but are you in Christ? You know, the Bible only even uses that term Christian like three, maybe four times. A couple times in Acts, and then Peter uses it once. Every other time, do you know what it uses over a hundred times? In Christ is how it describes his followers. Are you in Christ? What does that mean? Because that's where wisdom is. See, in Christ Jesus, who became wisdom to us from God. Paul sums up what it means to be in Christ in Galatians 3. He says, For in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. So how do you get to be in Christ, according to this passage, is through faith. That's how you become in Christ. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. To be baptized into him means to be immersed, to be consumed. Uh, Romans 6 says that, Don't you know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized, were consumed, were immersed into his death? See, see, here's the idea. You, you receive salvation in Jesus Christ through faith in him. And when that happens, you, you are baptized into his death. You're, you're consumed into, you're immersed into his death on the cross for your sin. And as, as Paul says uh, in Galatians, you have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer you who live. You're, you're dead, man. You're dead. Your sin is dead. However, not only are you consumed and baptized into his death, but also into his resurrection and into new life. He he died on the cross for you. When you put your faith in him, you're you're consumed into his death. His death is your death. He's paying your sin for your sin that you're supposed to pay. And and at the same time, um, he gives you his righteousness, he makes you new, he makes you clean. So being in Christ, is, is you're, it's no longer you. You've died. Now you're in Christ. You're in his righteousness. You're, it's like this veil is over you. You're clean and new. And when you're in Christ, that's how you get wisdom. Because he becomes wisdom for those who are in Christ. If you've never repented of your sin, you've never trusted Jesus. You, you've gone to church your whole life. But you've never trusted Christ. You have no idea what godly wisdom is. Because the only way to receive it is when you are in Christ Jesus. And you can spend your whole life in church and spend eternity in hell if you're not in Christ. Put on Christ. See, look what he says in Galatians. As many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. It's like new clothes. You're brand new. That's what he says in in 2 Corinthians. If anyone's in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. Hence the word I used here, conversion to Christ, is a source of wisdom. Um, You need Jesus if you're going to get wisdom from above. Have you you put your faith in him and trusted him? If not, what is the holdup? Here's the third one, scripture. 2 Timothy tells us, uh, Paul writes to Timothy in chapter 3 in his second letter, he says, All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. God's word is your sure source of wisdom. Do you want wisdom? Boy, you better get your nose in that book. You you better. You know, you, you may fear God. You may be in Christ. But if you're not in his word, where are you getting your wisdom from? Kirk and I were, 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 were talking about a situation this week where there was somebody um, uh, uh, who claimed God had told them to do something. Because, when, see, when I'm in Christ, or when I, I'm, I'm, I fear God, I'm in Christ, but I'm not in his word, you know what I can do is I can, I can, I can play this trump card that says, uh, God told me. And we were talking about this situation, and it's like, how do you combat that? Because that's like the ultimate trump card. And really it's the ultimate, like, just don't argue with me. This is what I want to do. God told me, isn't it? Well, how do you know God told you? We're talking back and forth. Well, he may have told you, but guess what? He's, He's told you in written form, a more sure word. And if you really want wisdom, don't rely on your own thoughts or even the thoughts of others, rely on the book. Did you know that was the case of Peter? Peter, of all people, do you know he was present at the transfiguration of Jesus when he displayed his glory? And do you know what happened there? Is that he actually heard audibly the voice of God speak. Did you know that? He heard it. And he writes about this in 2 Peter verse one, verse, or chapter 1, verse 17. He goes, For when he, Jesus, received honor and glory from God the Father, the voice was born to him by the majestic glory, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Peter heard this voice, but then look what he says. See, he says, we ourselves heard this very voice, point from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. And then look at verse 19. And, or it could even be translated, but, we have the prophetic word, the written word, a more sure word, more fully confirmed. Peter is saying, I heard God's voice audibly in the presence of Jesus. But guess what? Uh, his, his word, his prophetic word, his written word um, is a more sure source that we all have. We don't need to rely on like waiting for God to speak something to me. He already has, and it's written down. So if you're going to get wisdom, you've got to get in that book. You have to. You have to get in Scripture. Maybe uh, your application this week, if you want wisdom, just simply start reading the Bible. The fourth one is prayer. Uh, James told us about prayer in chapter 1, verse 5. He said, if any of you lacks wisdom, here's a source of it. Let him ask God. Pray to God. Ask him for wisdom. Do you ask God for wisdom? You know, I think if, I was thinking about this week, I think if there is a, when we get to heaven, if God has like all of our prayers in a searchable database, and you can get on Google, and you can look up, how many times did I pray about this? I really think, at least in the last five to 10 years, wisdom is going to be the top hit bar none in my life. Because I pray for it all the time. Like, like just in the middle of a conversation, like I'm going in to talk to somebody, Lord, give me wisdom on this. And if I'm not careful, if I believe the enemy, it's like, oh, I should already be prepared. I should know what I'm supposed to say. But you know what? God gives wisdom without reproach, so I'm just going to ask him for wisdom. Um, Lord, give me wisdom on how to how to say these things that are hard to say. Give me wisdom on how to deal with this person who's uh, hard to deal with. Uh, do you pray for wisdom? I don't say how to boast about myself. I just say that apart from God's wisdom, I'm sunk. And so are you. Pray for his wisdom. Um. Let him ask God who gives generously. So four sources of wisdom, reverence for God, conversion to Christ, scripture, and prayer. And let let me give you a fifth one. Let me give you a fifth one because there is a fifth one that's not in your notes. It's the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit. In fact, um, Jesus says that he told us when he would leave, it would be better for us if he left because he would give us the spirit who would guide us into all truth. He would guide us into all truth. And, and Jesus even said he won't, he won't speak on his own. He will only speak what he hears. And uh, J- John 16, 13, and he will tell you what is yet to come. So the ho- in other words, he, he won't speak on his own. The Holy Spirit isn't going to contradict scripture. He's, not gonna, he's only going to say what he hears. He's not going to give you something brand new that's not written down anywhere else. See, if I hear something and I go, Oh, the Holy Spirit told me to do this, and then I look at God's word and it's something totally different, and I go, hmm, I don't know if I agree with that then. Guess where the problem is? It's not with the Bible, it's with you. And you may have heard a spirit, but it wasn't the Holy Spirit because he doesn't contradict his word, and he does everything he does honors Jesus Christ. In fact, Jesus had these last three. That's how he lived the Christian life. He had God's word, he had prayer. And he had the Holy Spirit. Three of the same sources of wisdom that we have. So this week as you head out, let's live with, live with wisdom from above and seeking him from these sources. James gives one final warning. I'm going to end just with reading this passage. Uh, I believe uh, your chapter ought to end after verse 3 of chapter 4 rather than before verse 1. Verse um, 1. Because then he goes on and he gives a final warning of wisdom from below. He says, What causes quarrels and causes fights among you? Because uh, he just said, Wisdom from above yields peace and righteousness. See, you desire, you don't have, so you murder. You covet, you can't obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You don't have wisdom from above because you don't ask for it. You have wisdom from below. You, you ask and you do not receive. You ask for things and you don't receive them because you ask for them wrongly to spend it on your passions. You ask in selfish ambition and in bitter jealousy. He gives this final warning of saying, listen, we just unpacked what wisdom from below, wisdom from above looks like, and, and it results in peace and, and all these sources of wisdom, but don't, don't go back to wisdom from below because it's going to end horribly for you. It's going to end in quarreling and fighting and discord. Let me pray. Father, thanks for Jesus and for your word. And um, Lord, help us to live with wisdom from above. Uh, Seeking it uh, first by fearing you. That's the beginning of wisdom, is recognizing and revering and having awe of who you are. And then being converted to Jesus Christ, becoming a Christian, being in Christ, not just in church. And then those three tools that Jesus had are available to us, namely scripture, reading your word, prayer, talking to you, and your Holy Spirit guiding us. Lord, help us to live with that wisdom, with godly wisdom. Continue to teach us those things as we continue through the book of James this summer. And uh, I pray that especially for me, help me to live with godly wisdom. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.